I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with a conversation about influence. Your influence on the business of design and the relationships with others that make up this remarkable industry of ours. Every successful creative knows the importance of presenting a professional image in digital media these days. The importance has been magnified in the past few years, but with compressed schedules and far less free time to learn new strategies, it has become more challenging to create beautiful and meaningful content. While we can't give you more time to do it, you will learn best practices for interviews, editing images, and text to best showcase your work in short video and social media. You will also learn how to craft your professional introduction on mic and on camera. This is a perfect conversation for the successful designer and architect looking to take their promotional content to the next level. This chat took place at the West Edge Design Fair in Dallas, Texas in September 2022. It features Melanie Venture of the Dove Agency and Sarah Malik Barney of band design and moderated by me. This conversation is not necessarily a how-to, but best practice and how you can make the most of every opportunity. And we'll get right to it right after this. For over two years now, you have heard about my partnership with Thermosol. So you know that I have extremely high standards for Convo by Design partnerships. Thermosol is an extraordinary partner because there is this rare combination of intuitive design with exceptional performance. They have state-of-the-art facilities located in Round Rock, Texas, and a company that's about to celebrate 65 years offering excellence in form and function. The Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series presented by Thermosol is a programming feature that regularly showcases remarkable design talent and how they do what they do and the manner in which they do it, allowing designers to emulate successful strategies and make smarter clients who know what questions for of top professionals. If you want to understand more about this company and their history, please check the show notes for the link to episode 221 with Thermosol third generation CEO, Mitch Altman. He explains the history behind the company and really th that's what makes this company so special. Combine that with the cutting edge technology, their world-class domestic facilities, and you have a company delivering predictable elegance upon which you can rely. And nowadays, how important is that? Thermosol.com. Welcome to West Edge. So, in kicking off the first panel of the show, you know what, I'm so rude. Hi, I'm Josh Cooperman. I'm the host and producer of Convo by Design, a podcast for the design and architecture industry, you. Um, welcome to West Edge. It's so funny, I have forgotten how to do this after three years. It's crazy, <laughs> right? You don't know how to talk to people? <laughs> Not in person. <laughs> which, which is part of why we're having this conversation. Age of influence. The, the idea is that over the, the past two and a half, three years, every, everyone in design and architecture has had to become kind of a producer, 
of sorts, a content producer, a brand developer. So we put together this conversation and we're, we're talking about strategies, tips, tricks, ideas for those in the design trade to really promote their brand, to, to drive their business and to grow their business in meaningful ways. So I have, I have known you for a, for a short time, which is great. I've known you longer, Sarah. Do me a favor. I can introduce you by reading off a page, but I've always liked it best when you introduce yourselves. Melanie, I'll start with you. Okay, great. Hello, everyone. My name is Melanie Venture, and I'm the Managing Director of Brand Development for the Dev Agency here in Dallas. And my background um, is a little bit colorful. Um, I got my initial degree in international business, and so when I left uh, college, I took a position overseas, and so I lived out of a suitcase for a few years and had a great time. I was working as an international recruiter doing marketing and sales um, that took me across over 30 countries in the course of a few years. Um, and since then, you know, I only left because I didn't really have an opportunity to grow there. So I came back, honed my skills even further, found my way to the Dev Agency um, in 2018. Um, my expertise really lies in helping small businesses and startups uh, grow and scale. And so that's my role at the Dev Agency. Sarah? Hey guys, um, my name is Sarah Malik Barney. I'm the founder and principal designer at Band Design. We're a high-end residential interior design firm in Austin, Texas. Um, I, too, have sort of an interesting background. I'm from Austin originally, but knew I wanted to leave Austin as fast as I could. So packed up and moved to Los Angeles um, right after college. Lived there for a long time working in entertainment. And then worked in entertainment for 15 years in both the entertainment and sports industries. And then had a light bulb moment one day and said, I want to go back to school for design because I'm crazy like that. And went back to school, thought it would be a fun hobby. Within a month of launching my firm, had to hire my first employee, quit my full-time job, and now we're 150 projects in and uh, got a team of 10. So that was five years ago. So it's been a wild ride. And I love it too. As soon as we start, the music comes back up. And so we're going to just compete with the music for the afternoon. Maybe I'll go in sync with it. Okay. Like I'll, be, oh. I'll be your backup dancer. There you go. We have a soundtrack. Okay. <laughs> so listen, here's the idea. In, in doing a podcast for 10 years, look, I, I'm not a designer. I, I will be the first one to tell you that. I'm, I'm not a designer, not an architect, but I, but I love the industry. So I follow it as closely as I can doing what I can. And as a journalist doing the podcast, what I, what I learned early on is those in design who really want to drive their brand, you have to work at it. Social media is the bane of everyone's existence because you have to create the content for it. But if you are a designer, if you have a social media plat platform, then you are a content producer. One of the reasons, Sarah, why I wanted you on, uh, as part of this conversation is because you are masterful in a couple of ways. The manner in which you address your social media, the manner in which you create and craft a narrative, and the way that you speak to your clients or those that you want to be there, your, your clients, when did that start, how did that start, and how long have you been doing it? Does it go back to your previous career? Um, a little bit. I, you know, when I first started, I knew I needed to be findable, and I knew I needed to have some sort of visual presence out there in the world. Um, but I was but one person, so I picked one social media platform to really go all in on, and that was Instagram. And that's when I just 
did a deep dive. Um, in terms of the way that we present ourselves, the way we talk to our clients, the way we talk to prospective clients and just people out there in the world, um, I, you'll probably get a sense of this from the panel. I'm a pretty casual person. Um, I'm really direct. Um, I don't really BS around a whole lot. And, um, and I don't take myself very seriously. And we're in the same way in the office, too. So we take our job seriously, but not ourselves seriously. So um, I just speak to people the same way I speak to friends. It's, I shouldn't treat you any... I mean, I treat everybody with respect, but I'm not going to treat you any different and talk in some sort of voice that isn't my own that would feel really inauthentic to me. So that's always been important in everything that I've done. And I even talk to my kids the same way I would talk to a friend for the most part. I don't talk to them like babies. So um, that's sort of the tone that we take. And I, and I think people pick up on that and resonate with it. And even on Instagram last night, I posted, I'm super tired. And so I posted, I'm really tired. Like, that's just what it is. And maybe people like it or don't. I don't care. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? It, it, you can't care. Because if you care, then all you're doing is putting the good stuff out there. And if all you're doing is putting the good stuff out there, people know that it's inauthentic. Well, that's why social media can feel really gross, you know, and make you feel bad about yourself. So um, I'm, I'm okay being vulnerable in that sense and, and putting it out there that, yeah, today was a tough day. Melanie, so... You see new talent all the time. One of the things I love about the firm is that, Dove, you really work with your clients. You really work with, with your creatives, which is very cool. And I, I'm curious, do you, do you have an onboarding process? Do you, do you do an audit? Do you audit their social? Do you audit what they currently do and how they're perceived by the public to help them either recraft or rebrand? Yes, we do. We have a pretty um, thorough process. In most cases, the client comes to us really not knowing what they need or what they want yet, so they're asking for that as well. Um, there are rare chances that we get a new client in and they're like, this is what I want, this is what I need, and then we go through the onboarding process and at the end, that has entirely changed. So what we're finding is that there's a little bit of an identity crisis almost um, with just how do I show up in the world? What does this mean? How am I, how am I speaking to um, my target clientele and how am I staying authentic, to your point? Um, there's just a lot of noise out there. So there's an eagerness and a hunger to stand out, but also an understanding that we have to stay true to ourselves at the same time. So it's a hard balance. But we do, during our onboarding, we um, talk through, uh, we have a lot of conversations with the client about the history of their firm, the background of their expertise, where they've landed now, where they want to be in one year, in 10 years. And we kind of help design a roadmap for them um, to getting there. And then also just assessing, based on who you say you are, is that what we're seeing with more of an objective perspective, looking at your online presence and knowing what we know in the industry? Um, and so I think that sometimes for designers are so close to their business and it's so personal. And after several years, it can be really hard to look inward and look at yourself and be able to assess, okay, where do I need to pivot? Where do I need to change? So I think that um, having an outside perspective come in and help you see, you know, you've, your business has changed a lot. You've been in business for a very long time. It's time for us to update your brand messaging and rethink your strategy to be more current with uh, your current business. I think part of that too is artists, designers, architects not so much because architects for the most part, in my experience, are just so much more reserved but designers and artists are more on the, on the creative, like, ah, oh, look at me. And there's nothing wrong with that. If it's, if it's managed properly, and you know, if I, having done a lot of these, a lot of panels, I've, I've worked with designers before who just sort of take up 
all the oxygen in the room. Some people, you'll, you'll give them a microphone and they'll just start to go. And I think it's interesting because oftentimes you look at someone's social media portfolio and that's kind of what you get. There is a break, I think, between pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. And it's important to talk about it because years ago, I was talking to designers who were saying, I have no time for social media. I have no time to do it. That was pre-pandemic when you know, we're doing an audit of time and they're spending 120% of their available time on work, which means 20% of that time is personal time. Now, with specifying, respecifying, trying to find where your sofa is, forget about it. How do you, and Sarah, back to you for a second, how do you craft your message? Because again, it's not just about cracking the mic or putting on the camera and just saying whatever's on your mind, you know, just free-flowing for an hour, right? How do you craft your narrative? How do you decide what you want people to hear and what, they, what you want them to know about you? I think, so when I first started my business, I kind of came from the perspective of, I always thought design as a, as a practice felt really unapproachable to the masses. And it felt sort of like this thing out in the ether that you couldn't ever really have or attain. And I didn't want that stigma. So I come from a, from a perspective of approachability and being very easy to access. And that's the way I sort of, kind of going back to the way I talk to the clients is if we're friends, I don't want them to feel intimidated by the process. So um, with COVID and even prior to COVID, it was a matter of educating them a lot and in a really simple way. You know, where do you start when you design a room? Uh, what kind of rug, like what size rug, how do you pick a size of a rug? You know, really basic stuff. And people really resonated with that. And on the flip side of that, um, we share a lot of stuff that's happening in the office, like goofy things. And people love that stuff. I have an in-house marketing person, and she yells at me every week, you need to do more stuff on camera. I don't care what it is. You just need to do more stuff on camera. That's what people are resonating with. They want to talk to a human. They don't care if I'm sharing a million beautiful photos of a room I've designed, which in our feed, it mostly reads like that. But when we're on stories or live or whatever else, it's really important for us to be present. Thoughts? Yeah, I tend to agree. And I've found that even um, with our designers that we are working with, um, those that are A, experiencing the most success, and B, that are feeling the most relaxed and confident are those that are being themselves and that are being relatable and personable. And people can can see right through when you're you're coming across on social media like you're trying too hard. I think we all know those those accounts. Trying too hard, being something that you're not. And so I think that what is so key is to just kind of go back to the basics, honestly, and be in touch with who you are and what you're trying to do and be confident in that and try the best that you can not to get too distracted with what everyone else is doing and compare yourself. Oh, I don't have projects like these to share or... I'm not the type of person that wants to be on camera every day and, and tell the people what I'm doing. You know, um, it's, everyone has to kind of find a sweet spot for them that works best and then be confident in that. And I've found that that works really well, uh, more so than trying to be something that you're not. But I will say, going back to the piece about not wanting to be on camera, I don't know very many people who are like, I want to be on camera. That's right. not a natural thing that you start out at. You have to keep doing it and get over yourself and just do it. And some people it'll never come for them but other people you just get over it you just have to keep practicing it agreed do you have media courses 
media training we for do your a full media training um, it's handled by our PR team which I'm on our brand development team so I don't personally handle our media trainings but we have a pretty thorough process what does that look like I wish I could tell you more but I'll have to call in the big guns for that so I asked the question for a very specific reason. So you talk about people not wanting to be on camera. I, I spent the first five years of my 10 years doing this podcast hating being on camera. As a matter of fact, before Convo by Design, I had a different podcast with somebody else and I was happy just producing. And it didn't, sometimes collaborations, just between us, sometimes collaborations don't work out. So I was like, okay, well, if, if we're gonna do this, I'm just gonna go do it myself. And I spent the first five years really fighting it. And I, and I tell you that because I spent 25 years, this is my second career, I was in broadcast before this. So I, I get it, media is a muscle. Brand development is a muscle. You have to practice it. And unfortunately, where we are right now, there isn't a lot of time for people to practice it. You know what was interesting though? Prior to the pandemic, you could count the number of interviews that I did virtually on one hand. Then when the pandemic started for two and a half years, you could count the number of live interviews I did on no hands because I didn't do any. But what was interesting is that everyone, it felt like, decided that this was their time to go be a content producer. And you got just volumes and volumes of stuff. None of it was any good. It wasn't, it wasn't any good because you have to work on this. You have to practice it. It's, you know, when they do a TV show or a movie, they don't just say that, that's a good actor, we'll get them, we'll put them together, here's a script, 10 minutes, we're gonna go. You know, they don't do that, they work on it. So, I wanna get back to collaborations. Sarah, one of the things that I think you do really well too is you involve other people in what you do, you're, you're involving other people and, and there's a strategy to that as well. How do you decide who you wanna work with, how you wanna work with them, and how do you sort of, because in essence what you're doing, whether you call it this or not, you're putting together an editorial calendar. I feel like every creative, designer, artist, architect, manufacturer, any creative should have an editorial calendar for what they do. How do you put yours together? So I don't, but I have someone who does. However, um, when it comes to collaboration and who I want to work with, it kind of goes back to who do I want to hang out with? Um, I always say this, time is our only finite resource. We can find more of anything else, but time we cannot add more of. So if I, I want to enjoy the people I'm around and the time that I'm spending and make sure it's time well spent. So, um, and it's people I have fun with and that we can giggle and not take ourselves seriously. And, come up with something really fun. I have a designer friend that she and I collaborate on a lot of stuff together in a lot of different capacities and we are just like, we are besties in that way. And so it just works. And there's trial and error with it too. But do I like them? Do I care about championing them too? And do I enjoy being around them? The other side of that is the brand development side. Everything that you do should have purpose. If you're doing something even if it's wrong, know why you're doing it. Know what your goal is, know what your purpose is. How do you identify purpose as it relates to brand development? How do you look at these opportunities and, and, and try to figure out, is this gonna work? What's gonna work? What are we trying to do here? What are we trying to accomplish? What do our collaborations look like? What can this other participant do? Do you put your clients together? Do you pair your clients up with brands? How do you evaluate 
How do you work on your editorial calendar? Where should I start? There's a lot in that. Um, In terms of how do you define your purpose and setting goals, I mean, I think that it's an iterative process, iterative process that you referred to in the beginning of our conversation. Um, You know, when we get started with a client, it's always assessing first and foremost, what are your top needs? You know, I mean, certain designers, you know, may have your pipeline is super full, you really can't take on any more work, so they would have a completely different um, purpose and objective than someone who's starting out. Um, and so that's kind of where we start, and um, we build from there. We also encourage our, our des- the designers that we work with to really be um, looking within and thinking about themselves and what they're passionate about and what makes them happy, um, because oftentimes I think designers are, um, you know, as creatives, they're perfectionists as well, and, and no project is ever perfect. It's never done. And so because of that, um, I think that they... Uh, can, can overthink a little bit and I just encourage, you know, they want to be uh, striving for the best, but you have to start somewhere. And so kind of getting them to recognize, what am I passionate about? What am I happy? What makes me happy? Um, but also what do I need right now? And so kind of finding the sweet spot in between that. But um, the way that we work with our clients is we, we obviously communicate uh, quite frequently, but we have a standing quarterly meeting as well that we go back to that. What is our purpose? What are our objectives? Are they the same as they were last quarter? Do we need to redefine that? So I think making sure that you have a system in place where you can come back to that um, so that you're not just getting caught up in your day-to-day and you're so busy and so busy and so busy that you aren't revisiting that, I think is really important as well. You are listening to Age of Influence from the West Edge Design Fair 2022. We'll be right back. I know you love talking about great partnerships the same way I do. Let me tell you about an incredible design partner who is working with us on the Convo by Design Remote Design House Tulsa project, Franz Wigner. A company created in 1899 in Attendorn, Germany. They started manufacturing brass beer taps. In 1921, the company expanded to Buenos Aires, manufacturing brass faucetry. The company launched in the U.S. in 1992, and Franz Wigner Premium Collection began in 2008. Franz Wigner crafts high-quality, premium faucets with the objective to create a design-oriented luxury product that exceeds the standards set by world-class designers and architects. Pretty heady stuff, and they do it. If you see a Franz Wigner faucet, it is stunning. You use Franz Wigner faucets, and they perform flawlessly. Product you can depend on after over 120 years designing a truly stunning faucet line. For more information and to check out the entire line of faucets, visit franzwigner.com. So I'm going to spell it for you, right? (laughs) F-R-A-N-Z-V-I-E-G-E-N-E-R.com. Thank you, Franz Wigner. I think part of that too, and we talked a little bit about this on the phone when when we met last week. I, I love trade publications. I love the shelter pubs. I love the magazines in our business. I love what they show us. I love, it used to be, eight or nine years ago, it was, it was the way that I found people that I wanted to talk to. It's like, oh gosh, I love what that designer's doing. I want to know more about them. I'd reach out, book them for the show, and, and go see them. We have seen a wholesale change in the shelter pubs. And I'm hoping that it's a blip and that it turns around, but, but look, with the number of editors that are, that are not there anymore. Um, and, and by the way, I came from radio. I came from broadcast. 
the same exact thing happened in radio. Ryan Seacrest was an afternoon drive guy on Star in LA. And then all of a sudden he was on 80% of the radio stations across the country. Well, for every station that he was on, it took another local jock out of the marketplace. I feel like the same thing has happened with consolidation in the industry. Paper costs going up, you, you're producing less, less books, not as many editors, the add to edit ratio is flip-flopped. That being said, that has taken a lot of the wind out of the sails for many designers. If you have a celebrity project, if you are a celebrity designer, if you are a star architect, you're gonna get your, your ink, you're gonna get your word count, you're gonna get your coverage. If you're not that, which let's be honest, 95% of the industry is not that, it doesn't mean that as a designer or architect or an artist that you're not doing great work or that you don't have clients, but what can you do to level up your client base? What can you do to showcase some of the more adventurous things that you're working on? Melanie, I'm, I'm curious, when, when you talk to your clients, when you guys have strategy meetings at Dove, when you talk about what's next and what you want your clients to be working on, where are these brand partnerships are gonna be leveraged and where the engagement's gonna take place, how do you define what that looks like, in what form, and what strategy does that take? And specifically, for someone that doesn't have the benefit of, and I, let me back up a second. For every time there is a, a wholesale change in our society, like we just had with the pandemic, there is an, an influx of new talent to our industry. It happened with the Great Recession, it happened after 9-11, it happened after the Gulf War. Every time there's a big thing, people change careers, and I think it's because people look for something that makes them happy, maybe. But back to the original question, for those new people who are new, or that mid-level designer who doesn't really know where to go to increase their leverage and their influence, where do, you, where do you start as far as what to suggest? Yeah, I think it's a great question and my answer is probably different for, for everyone, but a couple of things that I like to, to really keep top of mind is one is not overthinking it and really going back to the basics and taking an organic approach that really people, are, you are selling yourself. You, and, and people are hiring a designer, yes, but they're hiring another person that they like to be around, that they want to hang out with, that they trust, that they feel understands them, that listens, that pays attention. And because of that, I think that ways that, simple ways, um, going to networking events, having one-on-ones, identifying the type of people that you want to work with, identifying um, other colleagues that you admire and scheduling. Let's, let's have one lunch or one dinner on the books every single week and connect with something new. I encourage you to connect with someone new once a week or once a month or whatever that may be, but I think those little things you know, can spark a lot. The other thing um, is it is a challenge, and, and I'm not a publicist, but um, with on the PR side of things, how COVID has changed the industry, the other thing that we're constantly seeing is that in addition to the challenges that's presented for getting um, coverage, it has also presented new opportunities where there's more freelance writers, there's other opportunities that come out in, for digital, in digital ways. 
Um, and so at our organization, at least, we now have such great, um, our public relations team has such great relationships with the media that we often have people coming to us and it could be, you know, one-off small opportunities, but those are still great opportunities. It could be, we're looking for this one particular paint color and we want to see how it was used in a powder bath. Do you have anyone on your roster who has that? You know, we're going to go look through and those, that's a small piece that could be, you know, covered um, in digital platform, but it still can go a long way. So I think a combination of, you know, some of those organic touch points and um, that's going to help facilitate referral business and that sort of thing. And then just, again, coming back to your strategy and understanding yourself on a frequent basis, whether that is, or on a consistent basis, every quarter, reassessing, okay, how did the last month go? I think time and time again, designers are swamped right now and they just don't have time to do anything else. They're trying to keep their head above water. So we are their advocate and saying, hey, let's talk about you. How are you doing? How's your business? How, how are you feeling? And so, um, you know, I think it's important to find your people and your team and your advocate and have someone in your corner, whether you're outsourcing a firm or you're, you have it in-house, but someone who's there to be like, hey, let's regroup, I think is really important. So interesting. And, and, and by the way, um, when it comes to Dove, I, I love working with you and your team. I, I really do. I really do. It's, it's a joy. You make, you make my life easier. Um, Sarah, Courtney, at Inc. PR, um, Muriel, the whole group, I love working with them too. And it's sort of, sort of funny because they're my Southern California team and you're, you're my Texas team and I, and I you're not exclusively they're not and I, but I love that and it's it's a joy working with you guys and I think it's important to note too because look I'm I'm a journalist I'm I'm in the media I am looking for connections and when you as a designer have somebody that is working on your behalf to get that done it means that a you don't have to and b that they've done the work they know the language, they know the narrative, they know the vernacular, they know the, the process, the means and methods to make it easier for me to get what I need because if it makes it easy for me to get what I need, you're gonna get what you need. And sometimes having that person to do it is really important. That being said, you know, Sarah, you also have to decide to make the time to, to do the social media and I, it's funny, I'm hesitant to even sort of bring this up. It has nothing to do with you. But I'm going to because I think it's important for our, our next chapter in this conversation. So sometimes it's not what you do, but it's what you don't do. And, or vice versa, it's not what you don't do, but it's what you do. Because in this case, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna throw any names out there, but I'm, I'm, I'm fairly furious if that's a term, in LA, there is a historic home that was recently demolished. Actually, it's in the process of being bulldozed as we speak. A magnificent home. Um, and I'm not gonna tell you what city it is or who the creative was because I'm not trying to get in any trouble here. But what's really interesting is this particular designer who was part of, the home was published twice in magazines that everybody's heard of created a video to be shown at a city council meeting talking about the homes being unremarkable. It's like, well, wait a minute. You were the designer. You got it published. And it just sort of struck me as one of those things where it seemed so disingenuous and short-sighted 
And sometimes you can really shoot yourself in the foot because if the wrong journalist finds out about it, I don't know, they may run it in a podcast episode. Anyone who's listening to Convo by Design, subscribe to it. You may, you may want to learn what I'm talking about. But sometimes there has to be an understanding of what you should be doing and also an understanding of what you shouldn't be doing. Let's just talk about that for a second because I think it's really important. Sometimes you get so excited about what you're working on, you give away information too soon, you give away too much information, too much information that isn't relevant, to distracts from the process. How do you edit yourself? So throughout the process, we definitely share a lot. Um, where I pull back often is when it's something that's gonna be client facing. For example, if it's a concept, I'm not gonna share that publicly in advance. That, if you're gonna ever see that, it's gonna be long after it's been published. Um, so there are some creative um, reins that I keep in there, but you know, it's the HGTV effect. They wanna see the demo, they wanna see the, the progress. So we share that pretty ex extensively. Um, and I think people like to see the before, People love before and afters. So I'm, I'm fine to overshare in that regard. Um, where I run into hiccups or where I sort of stop, pump the brakes is if um, a client is feeling uncomfortable or if they're pushing back in a way that feels really uncomfortable. That's, that's where I sort of draw the line and say, okay, I'm not, I don't have time for this. We're not going to do that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm an open book, so I'm happy to share whatever, but where I do draw the line is in the creative piece of it. I think that that is what the clients have paid us for, so me sharing that in advance of execution or even before they've seen it is really um, disingenuous to them. Do you have a content plan for every project you complete? No, <laughs> um, but typically we know things coming down the pipeline that are gonna be a little bit fuller and more robust in their deliverables, and so we'll definitely target those um, every step of the way. I am going to beg every designer, every architect, every artist, shoot every project, shoot every project, because you can do very little with your, your I mean, listen, your iPhone has a great camera in it now, and they're only getting better. But video, high-res images, that makes your PR team's job a little easier, right? I have a hard time, I shouldn't say this, but I, we typically pass on projects that we think we wouldn't be able to photograph at the end of the day. Really? Yes. Yeah, we shoot, ev oh, at this point it's almost everything, but for a while it was everything, and it's, it's Often we will say no if I think it's not going to resonate visually. Do you get NDAs? Do I get any what? NDAs. Uh, Non-disclosure where I, you yeah, can't. Yeah, I, I've gotten a few. Yeah, we've had a few. How yeah. do you address that? Um, so in our contract, it does say we have to be able to have rights to the photography. And usually we don't get pushed back about that. Um, and if we do, it, they just want pre-approval. Um, and I've only really ever had pushback on that once. And they, we ended up settling in a really easy, harmonious way. How do you work brand partnerships and development of brand into projects of your clients? Do you? Say that again, how do we develop the partnership? Brand development partnerships, working with brands, working them into high-impact projects. Do you do that? We do um, a little bit on, 
usually that's a little bit more on our public relations team, but we facilitate a lot of partnerships and our PR team would handle more of the outreach side. And then once those partnerships have been established from a branding standpoint, we come in and, and our team will help um, with the positioning. How are we positioning this? What's our message? How are we sharing to the masses about this partnership? What are we saying? But then we can also help um, in assessing, is this partnership a good idea? Is it a good fit? You're aligning yourself with this other brand and is that going to take you to the next level or is that going to attach you to something that maybe wouldn't be helpful? So. And it's funny not to turn this into a, a series of grievances which it sounds like it's going that direction. I think for me, because of my, my broadcast experience and seeing that over the last couple of years, creatives have become more publisher than in years past or ever in, in the industry where now the responsibility, and Sarah, you're, you're a perfect example of this. Like you've really, you've grabbed the bull by the horns as it relates to content development and production and what you want people to see and how you want to tell your brand story. And because of that, it comes down to, again, knowing what you should do and what you shouldn't do. I think another issue that we get into all the time, and this has more to do with art, music, um, and a couple of other issues as it relates to the trademark side of it, but copyright and intellectual property is, is a huge issue right now, and it's only going to get bigger. How do you, as a creative, as a designer, how do you self-educate? Okay, so I take the stance of blissful ignorance um, in this because I actually had a situation where another designer called me out for what they deemed to be copying a design. And um, I thought it was, it was, it definitely blindsided me, but it, I thought it was very unfair because what they thought I was copying I hadn't even seen before. But it's all, at the end of the day, design is a subjective sport. So if I'm going to sit here and make myself crazy with it, trying to see everything, know everything so that I don't copy it, is very, I mean, I would have no time left in the day. So for me, it's, I stay sort of in my own bubble and I, there, I draw inspiration from a lot of different areas. But um, if I sat and like noodled on it all day, I'd go crazy. I mean, I'd lose my mind. Do you work on IP within the firm? Do you guys talk about it? Uh, no, not that much. Okay. I, I, but it's, it's like a recipe, no? Like if you change three things, it's your own. Almost. Three things, 10%, 20%. You know, I think it's interesting, and I, and I bring up the, the topic because it's something that if you're, if you're in the business, and you know, here at West Edge, it's really important. We've been talking about it for years. And it's funny because I have to remember, you know, this is my first conversation in Texas. I'm so, I feel like I'm in Santa Monica again. It just feels the same way. But our, our industry, our business, the design side of the business, overseas, you know, China, if you put out a new, a new design, you will begin to see it in the marketplace emanating from China in a very short amount of time. That's just something that product designers have had to get used to. Um, it's, it's part of the business. What has changed, though, and what's starting to change more and more is the music used in video. Um, designers need to understand that you can't, you can't just use music because you like it. You may have bought the CD, but you didn't buy the rights to retransmit. It's important. 
it comes down to imagery as well. I feel like every product designer should have a set of images that they use. And it comes back to the designers too of having every product shot because when you shoot it, you have 100% rights to redistribute. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, this is part of the conversation where you put your futurist hat on. And where we are now, how is this changing as we're talking age of influence and the influence that you have over new clients, over the design industry, how has the last two and a half years changed the way that you operate pre-pandemic to where we are now? It's changed a lot and it's changed not at all. Um, definitely, like I said earlier, we want to shoot everything. That is our only collateral at the end of the day. That's all we have. Um, and I agree, you know, there are so many products that we can't get photos of, that we need photos of, because yeah, people don't think about those things. Luckily for me, coming from an entertainment background, I do understand rights issues and the need to really vet those things out, and as a creative too, right? Like, I wouldn't want somebody stealing my imagery, so if I hire a photographer and it's getting published, I'm gonna triple check every agreement that we have to make sure I have the rights to use it. Um, so at the end of the day, it's her product too, right? Um, so pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, it really hasn't changed very much. It's just more about making sure we're actually capturing it, and so many designers don't do that. I had one design friend, she told me she only shoots 10% of her projects, which I'm, I'm like, why are you even working? I don't understand. <laughs> what are you doing all day? <laughs> you have to shoot them. Um, so it is really important to get that, that brand imagery for sure. Yeah, and I agree. I think, you know, our approach is that we, we, of course, want content from everything our designers are doing. We do like to come alongside and help advise on when does it make sense to invest in those bigger, more professional editorial style photographers versus when is it appropriate to use your phone and what types of content should we be sharing where and how and um, with the way that social media has changed so much we are also you know you have to be doing video if you're not doing video you're not getting noticed if you're not doing reels and you know staying on the on the trends of that and this kind of goes back to I think what I was saying in the beginning about the identity crisis and your question about what you do and what you don't do and how do you decide that all goes back to how well you know yourself and what you're trying to be and who you say you are and what's important and not, you know, taking an opportunistic approach and saying, for example, when the pandemic hit, you know, there were a lot of designers that were starting to offer more e-design services. And for some of our designers, that was totally appropriate and it was a great fit. And for others, it was not. And they were trying to be something and do something that really wasn't their sweet spot. Um, and so I think it's the same idea with content and how we capture that, but I do think it's important to know when should I invest more or less in what types of photography or video content, if you will, and how do I use that to my advantage? I was so terrified I was going to have to become an e-designer during COVID. I was like, no, this can't <laughs> be my future. I don't want to do this. I it's really interesting that you say that because you're not, that's not the first time I've, I've heard that. That's a bona fide fear. That was something that was like, I don't want to spend every hour of every day looking into a computer and then working CAD. And that's, I want to be out on a job site. I want to, I want to be able to do a sit test. I want to go feel something. I'm a tactile person, right? Every designer. With that too, and it's interesting because it's funny. On every chair here, I had produced... You mentioned social media. Um, sizes for everything that's available now. 
And by the way, I would venture to guess that design community maybe gets about 10% of social media, maybe understands 10% of social media. And the problem is it's changing so quickly that it's another job if you want to keep up, or you can just go hire some Gen Z, you know, recent grad to explain it to you. The, the equivalent of mansplaining, so someone needs to do it for me because it keeps changing. So reels, everyone's heard, you gotta go reels because they changed the algorithm, so you gotta go reels. Um, but you still have to post and you still have to, okay, so you're using Instagram and you're using Facebook and you, are you using LinkedIn? Well, no, because dot, dot, dot. Well, why not? Well, because I don't have the time. And people aren't using Facebook anymore. Everything's Instagram and, well, it's the same company. So you can, you can be sure that at some point you're gonna be dragged back to this. I, I think it's safe to say that MySpace isn't gonna be a, an issue. I don't I, think it's making a comeback. It's not making a comeback, right? Stranger things have happened. <laughs> yeah, but do you remember Vine? Do you remember MySpace? Do you, and TikTok I, was Musical.ly. I remember, yeah. was it called Zanga? Back in the day? Friendster? Friendster. It's funny, too, because MySpace is kind of like the parachute pants of social media. You know, it's like, yeah, it was really cool, but it's never coming back. But then it plants this seed of doubt, right? It's a, well, it's not coming back, so why should I make the investment, and why should I take the time? That being said, there are ways to sort of strategize around this. And, and do you have a strategy for social media? I do, um, and it kind of goes back to what I was talking about when we first started. We can't be everything to everyone. We cannot be the best on every single platform, so we're not even gonna try. I mean, my in-house marketing person who runs my social, she's actually, she's actually 50 years old, and she doesn't know half of this stuff either, and she relies on the young people, but I also don't feel like we need to chase our tails constantly about it. If we're really good at a couple of things that are have some sort of footing and some sort of longevity, then in my mind, that's good enough. Um, if we keep chasing and keep chasing, keep chasing, the quality of our content is gonna to start to suffer. So I don't wanna be doing things poorly, I'd rather just do a few things really well. How do you explain that to your clients? How do you get your clients on board with the vision that they don't have to chase their tail, that it's about making something meaningful and important? It's, uh, it's definitely easier to have that conversation with some as opposed to others. You know, there's, uh, some of our clients have very strong opinions about what they're trying to do and what they want and what they think and we're there to support. Um, with others, I think they, they, they have a deep trust in our abilities and they have a deep trust in what we understand to be working in the industry. Um, in terms of how they plan out their content and where they're going to show up, um, we typically will just in our industry, as you know, Instagram really is kind of king. Um, so we build everything around Instagram, but then we kind of layer in other channels as needed, depending on what the goals are. But it does, it goes back to, which I'm kind of a stickler on this, who are you? Who do you want to be? What are you trying to do? What are you good at? It's in taking all of those things and finding, you know, X marks the spot right in the center of that. And let's go and focus on that. And that's where, because of the noise that's going on right now, and because of how uh, much social media has exploded, there's too many distractions. So it's kind of figuring out for yourself, how do you, 
How do you quiet some of that noise? How do you go back to remembering, okay, what's most important for you? I don't have to be everything to all people. Um, and then that's what we're for, is to rein them back in. <laughs> hey, remember that conversation we had a month ago where we decided that we were gonna keep this as our top priority and this is what's most important to you? Um, but you know, I think that we, we have a lot of buy-in from our clients because they are also, like we've talked about, just so busy. So anytime we can help um, our clients understand, you know, that's not a good use of your time. It's not going to drive the business forward. Um, it, it helps as well. But having that calendar and having the plan is really important and knowing, you know, where you need to spend your time. I also think finding content that you can automate and kind of set and forget. I mean, we're, we're actually really big on Pinterest, which doesn't really mean anything to anyone on the street, but we have millions and millions of views, and all we do is just pile in 100 pins a week to just roll out consistently, and we get so many eyeballs to our brand. I mean, I think half of our web traffic comes from Pinterest. So it's just a matter of just setting it and sort of forgetting Very little it. effort, too, sounds like. Very little effort, yeah. You have to think about where you're putting your time. And I think too, I would be I would be remiss if I if I didn't mention this because I think it's important. Um, Weescover is is a, is a supporter of the stage here at West Edge, and I think it kind of it kind of brings that that point home that part of the work is in the discovery. You know, I, I'm convo by design. I I love doing what I do. Nothing makes me happier and I mean this seriously as it relates to producing the show, then when an artist or a designer or a publicist or someone who's a brand manager reaches out and says, hey, I don't know if you know this person or their work, but here's some images. I think they'd be great for the show. That's not always true, but sometimes it is. And sometimes they're not necessarily right for the show, but I'm able to make them make an introduction to someone else. I'm not the only design podcast out there. There's a lot now. 10 years ago, I could say I was one of the only ones out there, but uh, me and Debbie Millman, but there's a lot of them out there now and, and they have sort of a different angle. Go find them, go introduce yourself. Nothing hurts when you introduce yourself. And I, don't, I feel like, some of that has gone away, and I'm not sure why. Yeah, completely. Um, I think we referenced this earlier, but just with the pandemic and having to take everything indoors and stay inside and be on lockdown and everything going to video, and now people can hide behind their screens and we can make a quick phone call. And um, I, I do think there's an art now about having those intimate in-person conversations and cultivating those relationships and nurturing them. Um, it, I think it's coming back. I will say a positive note. I do think it's coming back and I've seen a lot of um, encouraging things lately, but it is really, really important. Those organic touch points and just face-to-face -face is never, I, I don't think ever will be as powerful as video conferencing and virtual connecting. The last thing I will ask you about, no, that's, that's not true. Um, one of the last things I will ask you about is, because I want to go back to this, the idea of the magazines again. Because I still think it's really important. And I still think that for, for every product manufacturer, product designer, designer, architect, you want to get in book. You want to get in the pages. You don't just want to be part of the digital coverage. You actually want to get 
give me your best pitch. Give me your best pitch for how to get, what is, what is a strategy that you use, have used, that your PR team may use, because I realize that they're probably the ones doing it more often, but you've heard them walking through the halls. What are some strategies that you're using now to get editors to, to, to share the love? Sarah, I'll, I'll go with you first. Okay, this is um, an unpopular opinion, and don't tell Courtney I said this, but I don't care. Um, Brilliant. I, I, and I really don't. And I say that because you enjoy the magazines. I enjoy the magazines. My clients aren't coming to find me in the magazines. So if I'm getting it, it's only for my own ego and my own portfolio. And it's wonderful to get, don't get me wrong. And, and I appreciate it and I love the editors and, and I do really enjoy the publications and get a lot of inspiration out of them. But the only reason I'm chasing it down is to get clients and get brand awareness. My clients aren't finding me in a magazine, even though I'm in them. So as much as I love them and celebrate it, it's, it's for the fans of design. It's not for my business necessarily. So is that a good pitch? <laughs> the takeaway. I love that. I love that the takeaway is class. You know, I don't care. <laughs> you're not right. This is this project is not right for your, for you. You don't you don't want this. You don't, no, I want it. I want it. It's a little hard to get. Love yeah. it. Love it. I have an unpopular opinion as well. But before I go there, I mean, I think that um, I really love my job and I want to keep it. So I'm not going to offer up a pitch because my counterpart on the PR team would have a field day. So um, we stay in our lanes. Um, but yes, I, I have noticed it's, a, it's the small percentage of my clients that care. It really is. It now. Um, and so I, I don't know, you know what the answer is for um, how you can strategize to get in those, but I will say that I think that um, more often than not, our clients are not, they're not as concerned about that as they are getting the right type of clients the clients that are going to have projects that are, um, you know, less stressful, that are, it's a good working relationship, that it's a positive experience overall and where they can really add value. And so I think that's, that's trumping at least for most of our clients. I will accept that. I will accept that. That's I hope so. That's yeah. all I have yeah. on that topic. No, that's good. Um, this was, this was great. Uh, I, first of all, Sarah, Melody, I, I'm thankful and appreciative that you took the time to do this. Um, I'm also thankful that you were the first ones up at West Edge, because this was a great lead into it. It's always getting the first one done, right? So this is great. It's Thank you a, for having us. Absolutely, it was an absolute joy. A, a couple of announcements. If, if, you, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. Um, Convo by Design, you can find us everywhere. We will be republishing uh, this conversation. So, Sarah, Melanie, thank you so much. This was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Melanie and Sarah, for your time and willingness to share your expertise. Thank you, West Edge Design Fair, and to all of you who came out to the show. Thank you, Convo by Design partners and sponsors, Thermosol, Article Furniture, York Wall Coverings, Moya Living, and Franz Wigner, for your continued support you are greatly appreciated. And of course, thank you for downloading, subscribing, and listening to the show. I couldn't do this without you. I wouldn't want to do this without you, so thank you. Thank you for all the emails and support and the guest submissions. 
please remember why you do what you do and for whom you do it. Designers, artists, architects, showroom managers, publicists, magazine editors, product manufacturers, publishers, set decorators, and everyone else that makes our industry stronger by the day, this show is for you. That's why I do it. Thanks for listening. Be well. And until next week, take today first.